Welcome to Slash Server Life, the podcast where we explore the unseen world of people in the service industry. In today's episode, we'll take a closer look at Maddie Tennant. He is a self-described punk rock kid, and much like his food, he's well-seasoned. But I also like to say he gives off a total grumpy old man vibe. I mean, just ask him how he feels about a certain doctor with the same last name. He has a lot of opinions and passions, and here are just a few. Anyway, so we're going to start talking about whatever you want, uh, I guess, years of service. How long have you been in the service industry? I started in the service industry when I was 15. It would have been 2001, I think. Um, I worked as a busboy at a wannabe fine dining Italian restaurant, and I didn't last long. What happened? I got fired <laughs> for not showing up, but I, I was a terrible employee all the way around. I didn't. I was a little punk kid, and I couldn't have given less of a shit about that job. I didn't care about that job. I didn't care about my boss. I hated my boss. Just be for the sole reason he was my boss. I didn't want to get a job. I, my parents were like, you're 15 now, get a job. And I had a friend that worked there, and we all worked there together, and I got fired. And then I didn't work in the service industry until I was... Well, actually, this isn't the service industry, but I worked for a pizza place, and I was a flyer boy. And so the delivery drivers would give us flyers and drop us off in a neighborhood, and we'd go hang them on doors. And they would take us to the sketchiest neighborhoods with this shitty pizza place called Pizza Inn. And we would have to put flyers on people's doors and mailboxes and stuff. And I can't tell you how many times people would be like, don't you take one more step in my yard, man. Okay. we just walk away. And then we'd give us a cell phone to call with on the way home. And this was back when cell phones were just garbage. So it was never service. We'd have to walk miles back through a nasty-ass neighborhood. What about front of house versus back of house? How long have you been in each one? Um, I was the busboy for like two months of my first job. Um, when I really started in the service industry, I was 18, and I just moved to Atlanta, just graduated high school and moved to Atlanta. And I walked down the street because I needed a job. And I went to a restaurant, and I said, I, I just need a job. And I thought I'd be a busboy or a server or something. And he said, I need a dishwasher. And that's where I started, so... I would say I've done about 14 years back of house, and within that, um, I did a little bit of serving and bartending. Probably wouldn't even add up to a year, but I've done every job in a restaurant you could pretty much do. But I just kind of stayed. I kind of stayed with cooking just because I was good at it. I didn't necessarily want to do it. It was just something I could do. And then one day, I just kind of I started enjoying it. So, what was the what made the change happen for you? I think it was when I was about 19 and I was still working at this place in Atlanta called the Brake Pad. And I was closing up the kitchen by myself. It was a very small kitchen, you know, it was usually one or two people, maybe three on a really busy day. And I was closing up, and some guy came in uh, from the airport and uh, he said, like, Hey, is it too late to get a burger? And I was sitting at the bar at that point, I was drinking a beer. And he was like, is it too late to get a burger? And I was like, no, man, I can go make you a burger. And I did, and I made it for him, and I brought it back, and I asked him how it was. You know, I wasn't serving. I was just the cook. And he was like, man, that's like the best burger I've ever had. And I really liked that feeling, like, of feeding someone, you know. And, you know, whenever – just remind me, of like, you know, when you go to like your grandmother's house or something like that, you know, and your grandmother makes this all this food, and everybody's happy to eat together. And I always liked that, you know, but I never thought I'd be the one to, to present it, but that's – 
I like cooking for people who when they when, it, when they really appreciate it, you know. And that's that's kind of what got me to stay in the game and, and further my own skills because, you know, I know cooks that have done it for twenty five years who can't cook at home. They can't. They can barely boil the water at home, but they can run up one of those chain restaurant kitchens like it's nothing. It's easy. What's the difference between like home cooking and a chain restaurant? Because a chain restaurant has it done down to a science, where they don't even look at like it's not a it's like you set a timer and you set the grill to this and this is how long you cook this. They don't they don't do it by by feel. They don't do it by season. You put exactly this like half teaspoon of this every time. That's the difference. When you're cooking at home or you're cooking for a place that actually you know does things where you do it to taste. Things change every single day. You got vegetables, meats, any kind of any kind of food you use. It's different every single day. There's always you're going to get lemons that are sweeter than others. You're going to get lemons that are tartar than others. So those kind of places are easy to run because you don't really have to do anything. It's just mindless labor. You know, a lot of those places you just open up a bag of something and that's your sauce, that's your dressing. You know, the difference between cooking at home. I mean, you can go buy stuff at the grocery store like that, but you know, it's usually not very good and it's expensive. So when you make it yourself, you have a feeling of, of satisfaction. That you did this. I made this. And then when you're making it for somebody else, I made this for you. It's like, you know, if you if you have if you have a son or a daughter or a niece or nephew or something like that, and they go, hey, I drew you a picture. It means so much more than going out and buying a piece of art, you know. Maybe it's better, but it, it doesn't mean as much to you because they did that for you. It's created for you. creme brulee, I can personally attest to his passion for cooking. And since he's been in the service industry so long, he has some great tales to tell of ridiculous customers, wild situations, and of course, terrible bosses. That brings me to my favorite part, which is, uh, do you have any good war stories, like kitchen craziness? Customers, bosses, everything. I hate I hate when people are like, "Oh, I've seen everything," but I've seen a lot. There's no, there's no, no one's seen everything. But oh man, I've had, I've had bosses that were. A lot of people who are in the industry, especially around ten years ago, will probably like remember when the chef when the chef trade kind of came out. As like a big thing, maybe like long, longer than that, fifteen years ago, where like you know everybody like the chef was like you know some badass dude who was you know sniffing coke and drinking and you know hanging out with all the all the girls all the time and like I worked for this one chef and he spent maybe two hours in the kitchen. He'd work all day. I'm quoting all day long. He'd be in the kitchen for maybe two hours. The rest of the time he'd be. Behind the bar, flirting with girls, going down to the basement, you know, do a line. And then go out. I gotta go run out and run some errands, you know, bring some stuff back. And he'd come back with like a head of lettuce. He'd be gone for like three or four hours. And so, like, you have, there was a lot of chefs like that, like these egotistical, like really macho chefs, and you know, and they're just dicks. Like, they're, they, they profit off the work of other people. You know, which is kind of what a chef does. A chef has a lot of responsibilities, and I'm not trying to say that, that you know, because a lot of them work their asses off, but some of them just want the title and the money, and that's all they do. And 
this guy, oh, I hate I hated working for him. He tried to fire me a couple times. I quit the restaurant, and then the owner asked if I'd stay on as a server because I was serving. And I said yes, as long as he could never tell me what to do. And he did not like that. So he would always, he would purposely not cook my food. I turned in a ticket. He would not cook my order and be like, oops, I guess we forgot about it. And the other guy would be like, you know, I'm sorry, dude. Chef's here. I'm sorry. He told me not to do it. One point I came, I came back to the line because I was so tired of waiting on a burger. One hamburger. And I went back there and pushed him out of the way and just grabbed one that he was already making and put it on a bun and brought it to my table. We got into a pretty big fight about that. And uh, eventually he got fired and they gave me his job, which was the best revenge. <laughs> oh, it was good. It was good. That is a really nice like turn of events. I, I, I was there when he got fired, too. I was there. And I was just like... It's so satisfying. It's not, oh, it's not so fucking funny now, is it? <laughs> See ya. Well, what about the best? Who's the best person you ever work with? I work with a lot of good people. Um, sometimes, sometimes some of the good people I work with didn't even, they weren't even like affected by what I did. Some of them would be front of house managers or bartenders or something like that. But I've worked with some really good people that would really, as far as like working in a kitchen, like people that would really challenge me about what I could, what I could do, and you know, and it, a lot of it, you know, there's a lot of things you don't tackle because you just don't think you have the time or the ability to do, and you don't know it until you try it. And so a lot of these things, I was like, well, cool, I can do that now. Like that wasn't so hard, and you just get better at it. And that's the cool thing with experimenting with food in the first place is that, you know, eighty, ninety percent of the time, it's still edible and still decent. You know, even if you completely screw it up. You know, there's ma- I've had massive failures before, but you know, that's the fun thing about it. Is like you don't necessarily know where it's going to go. You're going to try like a new method. You know, like ch- even something as simple as chopping an onion. You know, like everybody does it differently. And, you know, I was just trying to figure out what's the best way to cut an onion for this, or what's the best size, or what's the best shape, and just all those things really matter to me. It, it's a textural thing. We have flavors is like too strong, too too light. So like I always think about doing stuff like that. And when you work with people that really encourage that kind of thing, be like, what do you do? Oh, that's cool. Try it like this. That's always really fun. And then what's also good is when you make a family out of the people you work with, which most people who worked in the industry, like you never you never lose touch with some people. You just you, even if you don't talk to them, if you see them out. You're like, what's up? And then the first thing you're like, you remember that time that this dickhead came in and did this? And they came in one minute before close, and you always, you always remember those stories fondly, even if it was a terrible night. When you see those friends and people, you're like, God, man, that sucked. And you're happy, though. You're happy to be talking about it. There will always be unreasonable customers. But every now and again, someone goes that extra mile to be truly memorable. Back in a, when I was working at the Wild Cow, and uh, for those who don't know, the Wild Cow is a vegan restaurant, vegetarian vegan restaurant, and uh, we adhere to a lot of people's allergies, which we're one of the only restaurants in Nashville, like in a lot of places, honestly, that will really take that extremely seriously. Where we will try to go bend, almost bend over backwards, just to make sure people's allergies are met, so they can go out to eat. Because a lot of people, those allergies are too scared to, because you know, of cross contamination and but we, 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 we always did our best. And so someone turned in an order for a, um, our veggie burger. 
and they said no onions onion allergy and I said well hey there's onion powder that's mixed in with the uh, the, the burger mix itself the veggie burger mix so you might want to go tell them that that's in there because they might want to get something else I don't want to I'm not trying to kill anybody you know and they come back and the server is just looking at me with this face that I like I don't want to say this to you what they just said to me and I'm pretty busy at this point I'm like what what do you need and apparently the guest said I'm only allergic to wet onions <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> what the fuck is that only allergic to wet onions that isn't say that to a doctor and see what they say honestly <laughs> that's people oh that that's that's the kind of thing that drives me nuts about guests that come in and customers and if you don't want onions that's fine you know if you say no onions we won't put onions on it and if someone does that's on us we will make you another one probably won't even pay for it because we made a mistake our jobs give you what you asked for if we make a mistake that's on us you know but I think the problem with that particular instant, uh, instance is the fact that a lot of these online things of, you know, how to how to hack your favorite restaurant, you know, and they have things like when you go to Chipotle, uh, get everything on the side and ask for the tortillas because you get more and, you know, things like that that just – it's not good for restaurants. That's that's really bad. It, it messes up counts. You're, you oversell for the same price. You lose money. But also when you tell someone you're allergic to something and you're not – you know, we're changing gloves, we're wiping off tables, we're getting new tools. We're trying to make sure that we're not hurting somebody. You, you came in to eat to enjoy yourself, not have to go to the hospital. So when you do that, you're setting everybody back, and including all the people that are waiting on their food as well. Everybody's getting set back because you just don't like onions and you say that you're allergic to them. If you're allergic to them, that's not your fault. Like... You sh no one should be mad at anybody for being allergic to something. They can't control that. It's like being mad for a baby crying. That's what they do. That's just how they are. But don't lie about it, is what I'm saying. If you, When you lie about it, you are just being selfish. And it's, and it's kind of offensive to people who are allergic to it, who have to do those kind of things. But, you know, just because you don't like onions on a burger, but then you want to eat onion rings later on in the day, that's really insulting. What about, uh, well, that kind of leads me to biggest pet peeves. Biggest pet peeves? Um, people who are unappreciative, honestly. People who treat, and this isn't, this, this goes in just life in general, but people who aren't, who don't have, like, manners with things, you know? You're sitting down in a restaurant, people are bringing you drinks, people are taking plates away, people are putting food down for you, refilling your drinks, asking what else you need. A fucking thank you is nice. You know, eye contact. Thank you. That's, you're talking to a person, you know. For years, there was that old, there's that old expression like, you know, you don't want to see how the sausage is made. But I think more people should. Because our disconnect with where our food comes from, from the farm, from, from the ocean, from fields, from, you know, those little boxes they keep chickens in, you know. That's all food for people. And people are getting so disconnected with what things even are. I just wish that people would just take the time to see how much hard work goes into agriculture and, you know, the people who actually try to take care of animals in a sustainable way that are being used for food instead of just, you know, having all these 
like farmed fish and you know these animals that are sick when they're put to death and just put into like you know McDonald's cheeseburger with all their kinds of all these fillers and things you can't even pronounce it's just that's not supposed that's not what food is like food food comes from somewhere and and I think that we as people just don't even I, I mean I've seen people that don't even look at servers when they when they drop the food don't say a word to them and it's like man to get you know your little chicken parmesan that took probably from start to finish that probably took two weeks from from the start of like harvesting the flour to getting it on your plate probably took about two weeks for all, to all, for all that to happen like milling the flour producing it shipping it someone has to cook it prep it get it ready then you order it it's prepared to order there's so many steps that go in with it even if you cook it like cook everything at home it has to grow out of the garden you know it ha- you have to get things from somewhere things don't just pop out of nowhere so I think people's disconnect with food and their lack of courtesy because they just don't care is a really it's a really selfish way to live if you listen to episode one or keep listening you'll discover that I love to hear how people end up in Nashville. I have a deep affinity for this city and am fascinated by what draws people here. And much like the Marvel superheroes he enjoys, this is Maddie's origin story. Where did you come from? I was born in Toronto. Um, we lived in a little suburb outside called Barrie, which was an amazing place. It was a beautiful place. I loved living there. And then we lived in just outside of Philadelphia for a little while, and uh, that was cool. And then I moved down to Georgia when I was about eight or nine, and that was a huge culture shock. And uh, how so? What was so different? Because I came down, and you know, I was a weird Canadian kid, and it was the middle of summer, and it was hot, and I couldn't, I couldn't deal with the heat, and I went to school, and everybody's like, "Do you like football?" And I was like, "No, I don't like football." And from then on, it was just everybody hated me. I didn't have any friends for years, and I just stayed at my house most of the time, and. I got told I talked funny, you know, be like, hi, how's it going? I'm, I'm, I'm Matt. And he's like, well, why do you talk like an idiot? And it's like, really, dude? And that, that was, I guess, my first experience of just people just kind of irking me and just me not really getting along with people, you know, until I finally found some people that I could actually relate to who were into the same things that I was into, like Star Wars and stuff. But How did you end up in Nashville? I moved to Murfreesboro when I was 21 with a girlfriend who was going to school. I was living in Atlanta, and I was a kitchen manager at this place. And I had a great, great job. Everything was going well. I had a great schedule, making really good money at the time for you know being 20, 21. Um, and then I just left it all behind and for love. Broke up six months later after we got here, but I ended up sticking around and. You know, kept the job I had and worked a few odd jobs around and, you know, got into this place called Toots. It's a Murfreesboro staple. And I worked there on and off for about four and a half years. Now for the heart of the podcast. I will always ask my guests what makes them interesting. And if you've ever been in a restaurant and you've looked through a server or kitchen worker, here's your chance at redemption. Sit up, take notice, and learn why Maddie Tennant is worth your attention makes you interesting what makes me interesting Mm -hmm. nothing (laughs) 
I don't know. I just. I think it's that I just I don't like. I don't typically like follow trends. I guess. You know, as far as like trends go, and music, and food, and and art, and culture. I don't care what I don't care what's popular unless it's good, unless I enjoy it. Um, let's talk about anything you want to promote. Anything you're working on that you want people to know about? Um, I got a lot of plans for the future, but nothing nothing uh, solid right now. Uh, my girlfriend and I are in some talks about opening up a food truck of our own. Um, it seems like a good idea. We just want to. I kind of want to go back to like a do a menu that I think is what I believe food is, which is simple, bold, and, and delicious. Where it doesn't need to be, doesn't need to have pretension. It doesn't need to have a million fancy ingredients. You know, just things that are just done perfectly right. Marco, Marco Pierre White, a, a very famous chef in England. Um, has a saying that he always says like perfection is lots of little things done right and I, I I think a lot about that when I'm when I'm cooking you know just letting things kind of like like pushing everything you every ingredient even if there's just three of them to its maximum potential but we want to do stuff like that we want people to not have to worry about you know it'd be the cool place or it's where you go and you know have that that Oh, we, we get these special ingredients shipped in from all over. We just want to make food that tastes good for people and that anybody can eat it. We don't want to charge, you know, $6 for a side of pomme frites, you know, which is French fries. It's fucking French fries. It, it's, I know it's French, it, but you know what? Most people who don't speak French who are putting that on menus, besides the French, of course, but it's ridiculous. It just it, there's no reason to call it pomme frite. It's it's silly. Like, we'll talk about your. What about your creative pursuits? Um, music is a big one. Um, I've played music since I was fourteen years old. I was playing drums and guitar, and that's what I wanted to be when I was a kid. I wanted to be a musician, and. Uh, you know, working in a restaurant was easy. That's that's. I feel like there's a big correlation with that because you can just do that, and then because you can always get time off. If you come in like you know, been out since four o'clock in the morning, you got to be there at seven. You know, come in hungover, still drunk. It's usually not a big deal as long as you can still do the job. I had a chef one time tell me he didn't care if I shot heroin into my eyeballs as long as I could do the job. <laughs> and uh, I always like that phrase, like you know, like I you know don't do heroin, of course, but. Um, I always like that phrase because it's just like, you know, just do the job you have to do. Like, if you can't do it, then don't do the heroin before work. And that's a good, something I should tell, tell my, tell my daughter one day. I was like, Hey, if you, don't do the heroin unless you can handle it. But, <laughs> um, tell me more about your band, your music. Uh, band's called the Swannies. Um, I joined um, a little over a year ago. Um, I was a fan of the band. There was uh, uh, Melanie Cochran, who uh, is the owner of the uh, Wild Cow, um, had a band. Or, like The band's been going for about five years or so. And uh, when I started working there, um, she would put on these uh, shows of people who worked there because there were so many musicians. 
that we were all like, we should all just play a show together. And so we would throw on these uh, these wild cow benefit shows where, you know, there'd be a punk band, a rapper, uh, like a, a folk singer, um, an acoustic artist, a country singer. We'd all get together and play a show. We'd all, you know, everybody would throw in money and uh, I would go to like a lot of animal benefits, a lot of uh, animal adoption and... Um, it was it was always for a good cause, but it was always just give us an excuse to hang out and play music together and just hang out, have a good time. And uh, so I was a fan of the band uh, from the first time I saw them, and uh, I got to know them a little better. I knew Melanie, but I got to know everybody a little better. And then when they needed a new guitar player, I stepped up. It was the first first band I'd ever been in where I, I didn't wasn't really the primary songwriter, so it was a whole different dynamic for me. It was really fun. by only one thing, his love of family. Well, tell me about your family. Um, my parents, they live in Atlanta, or just outside of Atlanta. My sister lives in Panama City Beach with her family. And all the rest of my relatives are up in Canada. Um, my, uh, my mom, we never, we never like went hungry at all. She always made dinner, like almost every night. It was a treat to go out it was a treat to like get a pizza or something like that. We didn't really eat a lot of fast food unless we were on the road, like driving to Canada, which is pretty much all you can do. Yeah, my uh, my mom was always she wasn't. This is not an insult, but my mom made food just to feed us. It wasn't tasty or anything like that. Like I was never having exotic flavors. It was very bare bones, you know, things she grew up eating on a farm. Yeah, but it, not that it was bad. It was never bad. It was just in the middle. And, you know, she'll be the first one to admit that I'm the cook of the family. Um, my grandmother's a really good cook. And she would always, you'd ask her, she'd say, do you want a sandwich for lunch? And you'd say, sure. And then she'd have a whole table full of food. You'd like, you got to be kidding me. I can't eat all this. Um, I have a daughter named Janie Rosemary um, with my girlfriend, Jen. Jen's also in the service industry. She's a lot longer than I have. Um. She's been a server and bartender for a very long time. It's very, 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 very good restaurants. And uh, she, she to me, is kind of the epitome of what people want when they go out to eat. Like, they want a server like her who they can engage with. And she's very friendly and talkative and, and, and informed. She just knows what's going on. She knows the answers to the questions you're going to ask. But if you're just there on a date, she's like a ghost. You wouldn't even know she was there, you know? She'll drop off, be gone. So tell me about the story with Janie. Um, she, uh, she was kind of a surprise for us. Um, Jen and I had met, uh, it was, I was having a bad day, and so was she. We met at a bar. I, I had taken her seat. She got up to play music, and I came in at that moment and sat in her seat. And uh, she came over, and I just stumbled over my words and was like, I, I was, 
I was sitting here, but no one was sitting here, and that, but no one, that, that jacket's not mine, and just completely, like, fumbled over my words. I kind of got a little dreamy-eyed, and, and, uh, we got together, and, you know, we had a good relationship right, right away, and, um, neither one of us, uh, really wanted to have kids. We talked about it. Um, I didn't really think I could have kids. Um, she, she had tried to have kids, um, before, and it just wasn't, wasn't really panning out, and, uh, we just got real lucky, and, uh, got our beautiful little girl, which was kind of, it was kind of a crazy thing, because we, we didn't know what to do at first, and we were like, man, let's just do it. You know, we hadn't been together that terribly long, and we were like, let's just do it. You know, she, she'd want to be a mother, and she'd kind of accepted the fact that perhaps she couldn't, and, uh, when she was given the opportunity to have a baby, we were like, let's just do it. Let's do it. Let's have this baby. And, you know, we, we learned, we were still getting to know each other. And, you know, it's, it's not easy. Like only an idiot would say it was easy, but you know, it's, it's so worth it. Like something my dad used to say, nothing in life worth doing is easy. So. How long were you guys together when you guys found out you were going to have her? About six weeks. (laughs) Holy shit. Wow. It was, we, we packed a lot into those six weeks, I gotta say, but, um, I think it was just a, it was a connection. You just, sometimes you just know with people and love being with Jen. I love her to death. I love Janie. We have a, a beautiful little family and, you know, we like our little life, you know, we're just trying to, we're just trying to make it better all the time, you know, make a great life for her and show her, show her by example, you know, like of showing respect to people, especially especially in today's day, like being a father to a little girl, you know, she's going to look up to me of what it is to be a guy. Every guy in her whole life is going to be a different personality, different type of person, but she's always going to have a comparison to me and how I interact with women. And so it's my responsibility to show women the utmost respect, common courtesy, just like you would anybody else. And this whole, I'm the man, I do this, is fucking bullshit. You know, it's a, it's a, it is, it has to be a partnership. You know, a lot of people have changed even the word of calling, instead of saying a girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife or whatever it may be, they're like, it's my partner. And that's, that's what it, that's what it is. It needs to be together. Otherwise, it's just some sexist shit, you know, and teaching, especially, like, how many women over the, course of human history have been taught and just that they're second class citizens behind men is ridiculous you know we live in a much more civilized society now where that should not even be a question it should have never been a question but the fact that some men still behave like that i'm daddy i, I take care of everything why why do you have to have that control why are you not willing to even give up that control why are you, why do you, why do you always call, you know, little girls, oh, little princess, you know, little this, you know, how about a little badass? How about a little independent thinker? That's, that's what I want. That's what I want for my daughter. People ask those questions. That, well, when she starts dating, you're going to be sitting on the porch with a shotgun. I'm like, no. I'll teach her not to fuck around with ancient guys or ancient girls if that's what she's into. I don't care. It's her life. All I want to, all I want to show her is that Love, kindness, and compassion are what's important in the world. 
And if you show that to people, then you'll get it in return. But don't show it to get it is another thing. Don't be nice to someone so they'll be nice to you. Be nice to them because that's just the right thing to do. And always remember your worth. And never let anybody tell you that you can't do something. Especially don't let anybody tell you you can't do something because you're a girl. If they say something like that, punch them in the fucking face. What do you think is the greatest challenge in your life right now? Um, balance. Balance, definitely. Trying to figure out, you know, how to do the right thing for my family versus work on my career versus do what I really would love to be doing, like my dream, you know. Trying to figure out how to accomplish all those things at the same time. Because life life is not easy and you kind of, you end up having to make a lot of choices and, you know, sacrifices in life. And that's just a given. I think being interested in things is kind of like the reason that all humans keep going. You know, the reason you go to the movies, the reason you read a book, the reason you listen to music or watch TV. You're interested in something. So doing stuff like that, you know, but that's, it's hard to do. You know, there's only 24 hours at a day and uh, trying to do th- three things that, you know, pretty much take up your entire life at the same time it's difficult but it's balance that's the hardest thing alright anything else you want to talk about with your band your family creative pursuit challenges anything I haven't thought of um support local music um cook your own food make your own decisions live your own life be your own person Words to live by, indeed. I'd like to thank Maddie for taking the time to share a little bit of his story with me. If you want to find out more about the Swannies, follow them on Instagram or your social media platform of choice. So, dear friends, now it's your turn. Get off your phones, pause that bullshit conversation, and put down your forks long enough to peer into the not-so-secret world of service. Until next time.